Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Conversations With. Today, we're taking the bus. Yes, that bus known as Jerome Bettis. I've known Jerome since he was a teenager in Detroit. We got to know each other through our mutual friend, Reggie McKenzie, my teammate at Michigan. Reggie started a football camp through his foundation years ago, and Jerome was one of his early campers. That's when I first met him, and since then, Jerome graduated high school, became an All-American at Notre Dame, a first-round pick in the National Football League, an All-Pro running back, and ended his career with a Super Bowl win in his hometown of Detroit while playing in his final NFL game for the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's truly a storybook career. But this young man from the streets of Detroit earned this great career. He's as solid a young man as he was as a player. Now a National Football League Hall of Famer and maybe known better by his nickname, The Bus, than his given name, Jerome was a treat to chat with. We covered a lot of ground during our talk, so sit back and enjoy my conversation with Jerome Bettis. You know, I still haven't forgiven you, Jerome, for going to Notre Dame from Detroit McKenzie <laughs> High School. You should have been wearing maize and blue, my man. It happened in one of those moments that was a, a rare moment. That Bo Schembechler retired that year, and he had been recruiting me. And then, you know, Coach Moeller came in, and it just um, – it, it, was, it wasn't the, the, the right fit under those circumstances and it um it just made more sense to go and i understand it's it's hard to <laughs> to to you know think about that back then but i i was a i was a michigan fan i did i loved uh, uh the amazing blue but um it it notre dame really became the place that i thought i would be more successful um in terms of my position because i was a fullback uh, Michigan was more of a tailback university. Uh, and Notre Dame was more of a fullback school where they, they utilized the fullback a lot more than uh, Michigan. So uh -huh. that's why it, it, it turned out that way. Who was recruiting you at uh, Notre Dame at the time? Who was the coach? It was Lou Holtz. Holtz was the coach. And, and yeah, how, Lou Holtz was the coach. How was that experience at Notre Dame? Because at Notre Dame, you're like Michigan in a sense where the bullseye is always on your back. Absolutely, and, and it, that was the case. You know, they had just won a national championship two years before, so they were really, uh, you know, the 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 team that everybody wanted to beat. Yeah. And so, yeah, every game was a big game. Every you know time you fly into a city, you you know you're like a rock star. It was a very interesting experience. You know, as a young kid, you're like, wow, you didn't think college football would be like this, you know, because you go from a high school where, you know, you may have a, a couple hundred people in the stands uh, to where you immediately go to, you know, 50, 60, 70, 100,000 people in the stadium. So that was um, a, a mind-blowing experience for me. Uh, but, it, you know, it was one that it, it made you – grow up really quickly because I, I I ended up, you know, after I think three or four games starting and it made me kind of grow up really quick because usually, you know, you get some time to kind of develop into your role. Um, but I had no time. It was like, okay, all hands on deck and here we go. And what was your record against the Michigans and Michigan States? Cause those were the two schools that were in your state. Yeah, so against against Michigan State, we never lost. So I was three and zero against Michigan State. Against Michigan, I was one one and one. Okay, how about that? That's pretty good. <laughs> I'm glad you remember that. Now, that's the thing I tell people about traditional schools and places where you go like Michigan, you can tell your record against Ohio State and Michigan State when you've gone to Michigan. At, at Notre Dame, I would imagine you can tell your record in your career against USC and or Michigan, right? 
Yeah, yeah. And it's only a couple schools you do that with. Right. You know, with 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 Notre Dame, it was it was always you knew you know the Michigan, you knew the USC, and you know uh, from time to time, if someone asks you, maybe Penn State, you may know some of the the, the history uh, of that game when, when it was played. But very few games that you paid attention to, uh, you know. Historically, through the years, Michigan was definitely, uh, you know, that that school. Okay, now you're there at Notre Dame, and and you leave at the end of your junior year to go to the NFL. Did you imagine when you were playing at Detroit, McKenzie, a stag from the public school league in Detroit, that you'd be a top ten pick in the National Football League draft? Uh, to be quite honest with you, I had no idea uh, and no intention of you know. Going to the NFL, that was never the goal. You know, for me, I didn't start playing football until my freshman year of high school. So I didn't have the dreams of being an NFL player. I never thought about, hey, you know, I can't wait uh, till I get to college. All I wanted to do was play football so I can get a college scholarship. That's That was my goal. And once I got to Notre Dame, then it was like after my sophomore year, they were asking me, was I going to petition to the NFL? And I'm saying, for what? <laughs> and, you know, like for going, you going to the I'm like, what? No, I'm not going to petition to the NFL. You know, I, I wasn't even thinking about going to the NFL. So it was, um, it, it, it was a, a new world for me. Um, going into my junior year where people were saying, hey, he's got a chance to be really good and he can go to the NFL. And I'm like, what? So I, it was it was something that was very, very new to me. So it was ground that you never even imagined where you were going to go. So I would imagine every day had to be kind of uh, like a new day. Like, oh, my, they think this? Am I this good? Did you ever have that conversation with yourself? You know, uh, I never, not, well, not that one. Am I this good? You know, I always had confidence in myself and, and what I felt I could do from that standpoint, you know, but it, it was, it was the, the, the future, you know, thought of the future. That's the part that I didn't have a grasp on, you know, in terms of what's next. Yeah, that I, I, it was as far as hey, I got to college. Uh, you know, they paying for college. They paying paying uh, for me to go to college for free. That was uh, it. Okay, now okay, uh, NFL. Okay, um, <laughs> what what do I need to do here? You know, it's kind of that thing. And and you got to remember, for me, it was all new because my freshman year in high school, I played linebacker. My sophomore year of high school, I played tight end and nose guard. So I didn't play running back until my junior year of high school. So uh, uh, imagine this. They're saying, hey, you're going to go to the NFL. And I'm saying, I've only played running back four years. That's pretty. Ever. That's remarkable. I mean, when you think right. about it. Right. And they're saying, hey, after this year, you can go to the NFL. I'm thinking, what? Really? <laughs> because I, I just started playing. That was all what you wanted to do anyways. You just wanted to play the game. See, that's the way I was when I went to school. It was like I was going to get an education and I was going to play football. I never had any dreams or any ideas that it was going to go beyond that. Exactly. You don't even think that. Yeah. Well, then you do go beyond that and you get drafted in the first round by the Rams, the Los Angeles Rams, and you were the rookie of the year. Jerome, that was a kind of marriage made in heaven in that draft pick. Was that where you wanted to go when you came out of school? Not really. I didn't, you know, when I was looking at teams, the team I looked at, and it's really crazy, is the former Washington Redskins. That was the, the, the you know, the, school, the team that I looked at. It's like, oh, man, I think I could be really good there, right? Uh-huh. Um, bec- and I, for whatever reason, I had no idea, right? Uh, you know, I know why. Because of the the running backs they had. They had Riggins. They had, you know, they had yes. a power running attack. Right. Which, the, their history yeah, they, was, was, was big backs, running, physical. And so I thought, man, this will be good, right? Um, and it, But the reality was, I was actually looking, so I, I thought I could be good there, but the reality was I, I would be perfect 
with the 49ers because as a fullback, I could run, catch, block. I could do it all. And I said I could be a modern-day raftman um, uh, because I was fast and I was big. I, right. could, I could do it all for, from a fullback perspective. So that's what I was thinking. Um, I, you know, I, I wanted – yeah, you know, my, my I would have if I if I had to pick a place I would have said Washington. The place that I thought I fit the best was was um, the Forty ers and the Forty ers told me, "Hey, we're going to pick you." But I think they were picking like twentieth or something like that, or twenty fifth. Um, and and you know, obviously I didn't get that far. But the Rams were a team that they you know they they you know interviewed me and asked me, "Hey, would you be willing to play tailback?" And I was like, oh, yeah. And, you know, obviously I, I did some homework and found out the tailbacks make a whole lot more money than the fullbacks make. <laughs> so that that said, can make a difference. I, yeah, I said, yeah, I think I can play tailback. You know, it was, it was funny. <laughs> because Coach Holtz, my last year, we were going – we were headed to play the – we headed to play Air Force, and what happened was two of our our running backs got hurt, and he he didn't want to give the ball to a, a freshman, and he said the only way we can lose to Air Force is if we fumble the football. So Jerome, you're playing tailback, so he moved me to tailback for this game, uh, and I had like 150 yards rushing, and at that point, that's when the the NFL team said hey, he might be able to play tailback and then I, I I went to my pro day I ran a four five two and then that's when they said okay we think he's fast enough to play tailback um and he can make people miss so we're going to move him to tailback and that's kind of how how it happened I had no plans on it didn't know how to play tailback um and so that's how insane my situation yeah. was in terms of I had only played fullback for four years, and here, here, here he is now. The uh, the possibility of going to the NFL and then changing to another position, um, which I had never played before. So it was a. Uh, when I think back about my career, how it started, and the meteoric rise, it was like insane because usually it never happens. Uh, especially at a running back position. That's a position, you know, you play little league and you get, you right. know, you're just a natural running back. That was not me. You know, I don't want to pat you on the back too much, but Jerome, I'm gonna. Because I think in many ways, <laughs> you as a player and your body type, the, the kind of athlete you were, changed the game in many ways or changed offenses because a lot of offenses, after you proved you could do what you could do, went to a one-back offense. If you had Jerome Bettis, if you had that guy, you didn't need a fullback. And I think right. in many ways, you saw a lot more single-back sets come onto the NFL because of what you could do physically. And I think a lot of people out there started looking for that guy. Who's a Jerome Bettis-like back? Do you agree with that? Uh, you know what? I, I, I do. I think what, what happened was the reality that you could run with a big back, you know, up until me, it was all small running backs. And yeah. so, you know, the, everybody was looking, you know, it was Emmitt Smith, Barry Sanders. Those guys were, you know, five, nine, five, 10, 210 pounds. That was kind of the, the motto, right? You're looking for a guy like that. Then you had Thurman Thomas and all these guys, and they're all the similar sizes. And here I am, um, you know, 250 plus, and they're like, whoa. But I had the, the footwork um, of a smaller running back, and then all of a sudden, then they said, well, you know what? We can get a lot of durability out of a big back, yeah. and so there's a lot of benefits. So, yeah, I was able to, to really open the doors for a lot of big running backs that came after me. See, I think you changed the offenses in many ways because I think coaches at that point said, I got Jerome back there, or a Jerome-like player. I can use my – extra tight end as an H-back, he can be that fullback, quote-unquote. And I think he changed a lot of offenses yeah. just because of yeah. what you could do. Because I, when you went to Pittsburgh, that's kind of what happened. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely, yeah. They they saw some some benefits in the passing game and 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 to really take advantage and spread people out, but still have a power running game. And I think that was the advantage. They they wanted to have a power running game uh, and be physical, uh, but 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 also create some mismatches uh, on offense. So we were able to to do that and really kind of yeah usher in a different way to play. Uh, you know, football, uh, but still having a power running game. Right. Okay. We got off of the track a little bit. I want to get back to the point where you came to the NFL. Was there ever any thought on your part about, gosh, it'd be fun to be a lion, your hometown team. Did you ever think that? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you've been asked that before. No, I never, ever wanted to play for the lions. The problem for me was growing up, um, I wasn't a big, football watcher because I bowled on the weekend. So I was uh, on Saturdays, we had league bowling and on Sunday we went to play in a lot of tournaments. So I didn't see a lot of college football on Saturdays. I didn't see a lot of pro football on Sundays because of the bowling. And so as a result, you end up watching and fall and liking the teams that, that, that are, you know, winning and playing in the Super Bowls. So I, I, didn't really like the Lions. Uh-huh. And the one the one time that we would always watch football, it was we would go to my grandmother's house and we watch football on Thanksgiving. Sure. That was the big thing. And there was two teams that played on Thanksgiving. It was the Lions and it was the Cowboys. And the Lions always lost and the Cowboys always <laughs> won. So I became a Cowboys fan. Uh and it, and it, and I just became a Cowboys fan, and that's how it is. And 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 then you know, as years go by, you start watching these these Thanksgiving games, and the Lions will, will win a lot of them, but they'd be a terrible team, and they just win on Thanksgiving. You know, it's like what what happened? They just turned the switch on, uh, you know, on Thanksgiving Day. But I just became a, a, um, a, a Cowboys fan and did and despised the Lions. Uh-huh. Didn't like them. Uh, so I never, ever wanted to play for the Lions um, individually. But now, you know, I'm, I'm rooting for the Lions again now. Well, they're your hometown team. But let's go back to now when you moved to Pittsburgh because you had a great run in Los Angeles where you were drafted. Then they yep. moved to St. Louis. And you didn't have a great relationship with what was going to happen in St. Louis. And you, even at one point, they said that you were at one point considering retirement three, four years into your career. And you went back to Notre Dame and you were thinking about getting your degree. How close were you to thinking, you know, it's over and I'm going to move on? I, I was very close. Were you if really? The, if the, well, if the Rams would have said they're not going to trade me, I would have went back to school and just finished up because I was, I, you know, I was very principled, uh, and I was. I told the Rams that I am done uh, playing for you because the the coach. I mean, he did some really despicable things, lied and said I was this kind of player and I was this and that. I mean, just really, really bad things. When the problem was I had two Pro Bowl years, my my first year, rookie of the year, Pro Bowl. My second year, another Pro Bowl year, another thousand yard. And so we said, hey, let's – we need to tear up this contract because I'm on this rookie contract and I've outperformed everything, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and they said to me – okay, we'll talk about it, but we're moving to St. Louis, so let's talk about it after we move to St. Louis, right? Which made sense. Like, hey, you're moving the whole franchise? Hey, take your time, do that. Boy, when they got to St. Louis, they never even returned my phone call, right? That's how bad it was. So so at that point, I became principal and said, I'm not going to show up until someone calls me. So training camp starts, I'm not there. They're like, hey, where's Jerome Bettis? And, And so they literally called and said, hey, wh- wh- why is they called my agent? Why is he not there? He says, well, nobody's called him. He's, he's called you guys a few times. Nobody wanted to reach out to him. And so it, it, was, it was that type of, of relationship. And then the head coach comes in and, and makes it about him uh, when it was a, a contractual issue. And now he's saying that I'm lying to him about being there. And I'm like, what are you? I never told him I would be there, but that it just it just spiraled uh, 
to the point where I didn't want to be there. I played that one year in St. Louis, and after the season was over, I I told them that, you know, I, I wanted to go. And they weren't playing me, and they, you know, they were playing another running back. And I said, hey, that's fine. Um, you know, I, I, and then we had a meeting, and the, we have a meeting at the end of the season, and it's the general manager, it's the vice president, and it's the coach, and we're sitting down, me and my agent, and the, the, the my agent, you know, says, can you give us permission to seek a trade? And the first thing the head coach says, oh, no, we love Jerome, and, <laughs> and we're looking around like, are you serious? Yeah, like, you know? that isn't what it looked like a year ago. <laughs> Yeah, what are you talking about, right? So at that point, after the meeting, um, I instructed my agent, I told him, hey, let them know if they don't trade me, I am going to retire. I'm going to go back to school and finish my degree. That's the plan. And I actually went back and re-enrolled and went for a semester that summer, that spring semester, I was back at Notre Dame. So it wasn't a hoax. I was, I went and re-enrolled, was in school. If they had not have traded me, I would have continued on. I was not going to play for the Rams another day. So they, unfortunately, they did trade me and uh, I was able to go and, and go to Pittsburgh, but I was not going to play another day for the Rams. Well, the word was, is that you told him, they said the two places I'd like to go, Pittsburgh or Houston. Boy, did you land in the right spot when you went to Pittsburgh because your career basically took off. You you got better, I think, Jerome, after you got to Pittsburgh. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, so what, what happened was they, took, they, they gave us permission to seek a trade, and there were two teams that were interested in me, and it was Houston and it was um, the Steelers. And fortunately, I went to the Steelers, and then the, the Houston team drafted Eddie George, so they ended up doing well themselves in the draft. Um, but I went on, and and Pittsburgh was a perfect match for my style of running. They loved big running backs after having Franco Harris and, 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 and his success. And so they were big fans of big running backs, and they wanted that pound, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust. Right. Uh, and, and they loved that style of football. So it was a perfect marriage when I went to Pittsburgh. And you know what else? And I don't want to get too heavy on Detroit here, but it was a perfect match in cities. Detroit and Pittsburgh are so much alike. You're from Detroit. Yes. It's blue yep. collar. It's real people. It's Midwest That's values. Right. And and I think Pittsburgh took to you like one of their own. And I think that helped you kind of assimilate in. And then your style of play was perfect for the organization. Absolutely. It, it, it was it was it was perfect for both sides. Um and the and the city um like you said, they took me in. They were so great with me, and it felt like one of their own. Um, and it and it just everything lined up, and we were we had a lot of success. Uh, I had a lot of success, and and so it just made for a great opportunity that was that was paying off uh, for myself and for the team. Yeah, and and I want to get to that success. You had a great success in in Pittsburgh over the years. But but the biggest one was your last year. Uh, you went to the Super Bowl and you won, and the Super Bowl was in Detroit, your hometown. So we're going to kind of compress those years in Pittsburgh where you went to the Pro Bowl and you did all those good things to that final year because you thought about retiring prior to that year, didn't you? Yeah, I actually had retired pretty much. So we, we lose uh, in 2004, I believe. We lose to the Patriots. In the AFC Championship, we had a great football team. We were 15-1, and one, great team. We lose in the AFC Championship at home, and I am, I am devastated, right? And so I am just, I can't handle myself. The next day, we have a team meeting that Monday. Come in, I address the team. I asked Coach, can I talk to the team? He said, yes. So I went up, just told him, I thank every player for, for being a great teammate uh, and basically said that, you know, hey, I've done all I can do. I'm retiring. I just want to thank all of you guys. Um, there was not a dry eye in the house. I mean, that was it. Well, after the meeting, Coach Kyle brings me to the office and says, hey, don't make a rash decision. 
you know, take some time off and think about it. And I told Coach, hey, Coach, I I thought about it. I, I'm done, right? He says, oh, just take your time. Well, I go back. We're watching the Super Bowl, and Corey Dillon is playing for the Patriots. He breaks his ribs in the game. Well, the Patriots win the Super Bowl. After that game, I get a phone call from the, from the NFL, and they say, hey, you were the first alternate for the Pro Bowl. And we want you to go to the Pro Bowl, right? So now I talk to the wife, and I'm, and I'm like, hey, babe, what do you think? She says, well, it would be a great opportunity since you are retiring to finish on a good note and not let your last game be a loss, right? And I said, oh, that makes a lot of sense. It makes well, a lot of sense. Yeah. What just so happens, the Steelers back then, the team who lost the AFC or the NFC Championship game, that – team the coaching staff went and coached the pro bowl right so so now here we got all the, the stiller coaches the owner and because we were 15 and one we had the most we had the most pro bowl players uh, in the nfl that year so we had like eight players go to the pro bowl well those eight guys they all brought one or two guys so we had about 20 or so Stiller players, they had a Stiller luau. <laughs> and at this luau, the guys kind of hemmed me up and was like, hey, man, I'll never forget it. Um, and actually, it was a Detroit boy, um, Larry Foote. Oh, That's yeah, Larry Foote, linebacker. So Larry, yes, so Larry Foote says to me, I never forget, he says, Bussy, uh, man, he says, it's going to be a shame. We're going to play, we're going to play at the Super Bowl. We're going to play in the Super Bowl at the crib, and you're not going to be there. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, the Super Bowl is in Detroit next year. And I was like, oh! <laughs> I was like, I hadn't even, didn't even dawn on me that the Super Bowl was in Detroit. Now, there's a rumor, and too. One, one of the stories is that yeah. besides foot, Ben Roethlisberger, Big Ben, made a promise to you that he was going to get you to Detroit. Did that actually happen? It did, and that happened really? at the end. But that was at the end of the the championship game uh, when we were playing the Patriots. The game was about over. We were on the sideline. I'm I got tears rolling down my eyes, and he just asked me. Yeah. He says, "You know, give me a chance and let me get you to the pro. I promise you, if you stay, I I'll get you to um, Super Bowl, right?" And it's like, yeah, right. You know, you just don't even pay that any mind. You know, now and that was something. But then it came to fruition, and after each game, he gave me the game ball. After we won each game, the first wild card game, and the next divisional game, and the and the um, AFC Championship game. So he just kept doing that, and it gave me the, the game ball after we won the Super Bowl. So it was an amazing moment. And he came, you know, he kept his word. Yeah. He got me there, and we won it. And I and, I, and the other thing that was interesting was it. That year that you won the Super Bowl, the last game was against, or the you clinched your playoff spot, the final game, when you scored three touchdowns against, guess who? The Detroit Lions. The Lions, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it was a fitting into my regular season career. You know, the regular season game, the last regular season game was at home in Pittsburgh against the Detroit Lions. So it was great that, you know, that, that symbolism of, you know, me finishing up and, and finishing up against Detroit where my career started and then to actually have a chance to play in Detroit, that was a dream come true uh, for a championship. Okay, now there's one other thing about that run that we got to talk about. and Sure. It, it was probably the lowest moment of your life, the fumble against Indianapolis and the Colts. What, what fumble? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have I, blocked that so far out of my memory banks. I don't recall. Yeah, I know. It's one of those things where <laughs> Jerome, I feel the same way. I thought it was like a a wonderful run to the Super Bowl with a storybook ending. But then I read the whole thing and I went, oh, God, I remember that now. That you're ready to go in. You don't yeah. ever fumble the ball. You've never fumbled never the ball in your career. And you, you yeah. let the Colts have a chance. And, and I, and, I knew and, you oh were my dying inside. And the best oh. part about football, Jerome, your guys picked you up. That was the scariest time uh, in the world. You know, you feel you let your team down, you're giving them a chance. And, and, and I, I just couldn't help but thinking on the sidelines, so this is how my career is going to end. 
this is how I'll be remembered. That you had know, to be I, just I, miserable. I was in that moment thinking, this is how they're going to remember me. Uh. You know, this fumble, this is going to be the last play I ever have. You know, I, it was just, I was so sick. I was going to say sick uh, to your to stomach, stomach, probably. No, yeah. I was sick to my stomach. And and you're right, the, my guys, they rallied and rallied and tough. And then uh, Vanderjet. Uh, Jack or whatever his name is, he shanked one, and I, when I say shank, I mean it wasn't. It was it was even twenty yards close to uh, the upright. I mean he he shanked it into the tunnel that's in the corner of the field. That's how bad he <laughs> he hit the hit that kick, and um, it was. Uh, I, I'll never forget seeing it go leave his foot. As soon as I saw it, he left his foot. I said, "Oh, he missed it! Unbelievable!" <laughs> and and it, you know, gave me new life. But that was you right, the lowest moment of my football career, and it, it kind of flashed by me. And I'm thinking to myself, "This is how I'm going to be remembered." Yeah, when when that happened, and I'm watching. I mean, you know, you're one of our guys in Detroit. You and the Reggie McKenzie Foundation, and we've known you since you were a little guy. And when that happened, and uh, I saw the kick that would have won the game for the Colts go wide like that. I said, you know what? It's meant to be. Something about karma and football. Jerome is coming back to Detroit, and he's going to win the Super Bowl in his hometown. I just I just had a feeling at that point that was what was wow. going to happen. Uh, yeah. Those things just don't happen by accident. I think. They don't. There's they some don't. things right that, that I think are written somewhere in the stars, and I think that was. And, and I'll tell you this, and, I, and I'll tell you this, it – in, in, in a very weird, crazy way, that fumble, it really ingratiated me with so many people because so many people felt genuinely bad for me in that moment. It's so crazy because I meet people from all over the place and they're not even still a fans. And they said, oh, I remember you. I felt so bad that moment happened. I was cheering for you. And it was just like, you don't think that you know, all you think a fumble, negative, bad, the worst. In talking to people, it's crazy how I have become a, a more of a fan favorite because of that moment that people remember and they think about it and they say, "Oh man, we were hope we were cheering for you," and you know, and yeah. I was just shocked to hear those kind of comments because all I'm thinking about is, "Oh, it's the worst day of my life. I can't believe it." <laughs> well. I, I, it was just one of those things when I saw it, I felt so bad. I mean, I, I was there with you. I was almost crying with you when it was happening. When the kick went wide, I went, you know what? It's meant to be. And then against Denver in the AFC championship game, the word is, and again, you can tell us this happened or it didn't, you told the team in a team meeting before the game, says, just get me to Detroit. Is that accurate? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, well, I, I, I gave a lot more uh, of a speech uh, and just telling everybody basically to do their job. That was, that was the, the whole point of the speech was to do your job. Don't do more. Don't try to overdo it. Don't try to make be, be, you know, this superstar in this game, you know, do your job and your talent will show. Right. And we'll win this football game. Cause we're a better football team. Right. And then I said, and at the end I said, Hey, and guys, Get me to Detroit, please. <laughs> I'm, I need to go home, right? And uh, and they laughed and had a great time with it. And I was like, just get me there. <laughs> and, and then you get to Detroit. You beat Seattle 21-10. Heinz Ward's the MVP in the game, but you were amazing in the game. You picked your spots in that game to be important, and you impacted that Super Bowl game. But I want to talk to the point leading up. You got two weeks. You're in Detroit. You're the only story that I think the national media is covering. Uh, how difficult was that leading up to that to keep the focus on the game? It wasn't. It wasn't difficult at all. And actually, I wanted it because here's here's what you got to remember. At that time, I had a second year quarterback, and I had a first year tailback in in um, uh, Willie Parker who was the starter. So I wanted all the attention on me. I wasn't starting. I was the backup. So if you get all the attention off of these guys, they don't have any pressure on them, 
right? The pressure's on me, and I can handle it. You know, this this is my thirteenth year, so I mean, answering these questions and 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 having this media blitz, I don't have a problem with it. I'm used to it, and I'm not the focal point of the offense. So it was a great way for me to create a distraction for those guys that was going to be doing the heavy lifting. So I just thought it was genius that that I would take all this media attention away from these guys and let them focus on the game. And the game turned out to be a win. And tell me about your feelings about that. I mean, you're at the top of the football world. You're in your hometown. It truly is like a Disney movie, isn't it? I mean, it couldn't be any better. And then when Disney said, listen, this was the most incredible thing. Disney came to me and said, listen, you you know, you're the story of the Super Bowl. Whoever wins the MVP, we're going to tag it. And and so Heinz Ward won MVP. And so Heinz says, I'm going to Disneyland. And he says, and I'm taking the bus with me, right? (laughs) And so the deal was whoever won was going to tag and say, I'm taking the bus with me. Right. So that's how incredible of a moment it was that they can, they said, Hey, we want to include you in this, uh, you know, monumental moment, uh, that everybody remembers. Right. So I was just like taken aback by how, how well I was received, um, for that Super Bowl, and it makes sense, you know. You you don't really have a lot of guys who play a Super Bowl uh, in their hometown. Not to mention, uh, you know, a cold weather city. You know, this kind of deal, and and hadn't been there since the '80s. So it was a it, it was a pretty big deal, and I was I was just so happy that I could take the pressure off of my younger guys in that moment. Well, those of us who know you, and those of us who followed you since you've been a kid. Every one of us was so happy. It was one of the best and most feel-good Super Bowls that I truly can remember, and it was all because of you. Now, Pittsburgh wins the game, the Steelers, and that whole Steeler Nation thing. I'm sure they loved it, but for those of us who know you personally, it was uh, the Steelers Super Bowl championship that Jerome Bettis orchestrated for us. Yeah, and it, it, it was a Detroit championship uh, all the way. In, in, a, in a different way. You know what I mean? It yeah, wasn't a Detroit Lions Super Bowl, but it was a Detroit Super Bowl all the way because I just felt that all the people from Detroit, all the Detroiters were rooting for me, uh, knowing that I have always been and always loved my city and represented uh, Detroit uh, and always did what I could do, uh, you know, for Detroit. And so that's always been that, the theme. And so to, to win it in Detroit, uh, the whole city I thought was so happy, uh, and 100% behind me, uh, in that Super Bowl. Oh, they were indeed. And then, uh, icing on the cake. I'm not sure. Probably was 2015. You're elected to the pro football hall of fame in Canton. Did, and here's yeah. a, a guy that didn't think he was going to play in the NFL back when he was a junior in college. Now you're at the top. You're sitting there in the same room with Jim Brown and John Madden and John Unitas and some of these great names. Unbelievable. Because I just said earlier, I've never even played the position. How about that? You know, amazing. I mean, no, no thought of ever playing in the NFL. And now I'm in the hall of fame at a position that I didn't start playing until the first day of the of, of my NFL career, it's like who who writes that kind of story? And you have a a Super Bowl in your hometown to finish your career. It's like, are you serious? Uh, so it, it was, I mean, to go into Canton uh, with the greatest players that have ever played the game. It was awe inspiring for me because I never thought that I would reach that level, but I never planned to, you know, it's, it's so weird because I always tell people, you know, people ask me about the hall of fame and they ask me about the ring. So, you know, you get a hall of fame ring and, and obviously you get a super bowl ring and people ask me, well, which one is more important? I said, well, the super bowl is more important because that was always the goal. 
every year the goal was to win a championship. It was never, hey, I want to, I want to go into the Hall of Fame. The goal was win a championship, and then what you realize is the byproduct of working hard and trying to be the best player you can possibly be to win a championship is you then uh, being considered. Uh, for the Hall of Fame because of your body of work. And so that was kind of the thing that you look at and you're like, well, wow, I didn't, I didn't expect that. And so for them to, um, you know, grace me with that incredible honor, I, I was, I was taken aback and, and, and I was so appreciative because obviously my position, I need a lot of help. And I got a lot of help from some great players that were able to give me the opportunity to. And then I look back uh, as well. I look back at the Reggie McKenzie camp and, and I look back at, at Pep and, you know, uh, and and those guys, and those guys, all those guys helping me um, be the best that I could be because I was a, such a young guy, didn't know football, and and that's where my love affair for football came from. Those camps, uh, being there in the summer at Reggie McKenzie Field in in Oak Park, I mean, and just being there and doing it in Highland Park, rather. Yeah. Um, th- those were the those were the times, that, and I I went back and thought about that, and I talked about that in my Hall of Fame speech because those were special times and special all special people, and Reggie was definitely a big and instrumental part of my football life. And and that's where I was going next, because wonderful as the Super Bowl ring is, and you mentioned it, and it's also a ring that's more important because you did it with a group of guys. I mean, you put yourselves out there together and worked hard to get a goal. Uh, The byproduct, as you said, is the Hall of Fame, but... In, in 2001, you were named the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year. It's because of your work in the community. And, and that's a huge honor. And to me, it's sometimes even more important because it's about what you're doing outside of football for others. And, and that's what you've gotten from your period of time in Detroit, what Reggie did for you, what others did for you as you were growing up, and you're putting some of it back. And I know you're very committed to that. Yeah, and and because my my philosophy has always been, uh, I want to pay it forward. You know, I was an at risk kid growing up, right? And so I have a foundation now that works with underprivileged at risk kids because I was one of them. Uh, there was a man gracious enough to give of himself for us, and that was Reggie McKenzie. You know, he did it. He didn't get he didn't get paid no, for I doing know. that. You know, yeah. he didn't make any money for doing that, right? And he and, so, and I, he and I were teammates, and I still go back, and we're still going to have uh, events this year for the Reggie McKenzie right. Foundation. That's right. Yeah, and, and, and it's going to impact some kids' lives, and, and that's the that's the important part of the, this whole story is that a man didn't have to, didn't need to. But wanted to make a difference, right? And I'll never forget. I'll never forget being at the camp. And Reggie, it, you know how Reggie would get up in there and, yeah. and right at the right in the camp, and he'd start talking. He's getting going. Oh man! And once he get going, he's going, and he, that energy you can feel it. And he was, and he was. I never forget. He said, "Who's going to be the next one?" Right, yeah, and he put it. He put that big hand up. He said, "Who's going to be the next one? <laughs> Who's going to be the next one?" That's a great. I, that's a great Reggie impression. And I said, <laughs> and I said, I'll never forget it. I said. I'm I'll be I'm gonna be the next one. I'm gonna be the next one. And so he said, Yeah, okay, we'll see. Right? Yeah. And 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 he said, I don't know how these other guys feel about that, right? And it was just so it was great that I I said it in that moment because he inspired me like just by you know, that bravado. I was like, Yeah, I'm gonna be the next one, right? I was just in it and I'll never forget that moment and so when I go back, when you say who's going to be that next one, it's not who's going to be the next one, the, the, the star. Who's going to be the one kid that I'm able to impact? Because at the end of the day, you say to yourself, and Reggie used to say, if I can just help one kid, I feel I made a difference. Right? And, and I, I, I'm that one kid. Yep. Because I could have went anyway. I didn't. I didn't love football. I didn't know the game, so I was able to 
get something from that that changed the trajectory of my life, not my career, of my life. And well, so yeah. that's what that's what's so important, uh, you know, about being able to impact uh, young people because you can affect the trajectory of their lives. I know because it changed mine. It did, and and it changed mine when I got involved with Reggie doing that stuff. And I'll tell you what, I know this for a fact. When Reggie McKenzie gets fired up and he starts talking to you, you, <laughs> you will be moved. I, I 100%. Mean, oh, he is a beauty. There isn't anybody better. Uh, Jerome, nope. you've got a foundation called the Bus Stops Here Foundation, but you're also very active and an advocate for the recognition and treatment of asthma. Where did that come from? Well, I, I was, uh, when I went out for football, my fo- when I was 14, my freshman year, I passed out because I, we had to run and I, I didn't know I had asthma. Um, I had asthma attack, doctor, the whole deal. And as a result of it, I, you know, was, I didn't think I could play football because I'm, I'm asthmatic. But my mom and dad, they worked with me and, and explained to me what I needed to do. And the doctors kind of gave me a regiment. And I was able to manage it. Uh, and so I said to myself, this almost stopped me from playing football. So if I didn't have a mother and father that, that encouraged me instead of discouraging me, I would have never played. So I said to myself, I've got to be an advocate because I know there's kids that thought like I thought that said, Oh, I can't do that. Let's scratch that. And I'm, I'm here to say, no, you can do that. Look at me. So obviously I try to do as much as I can. And I, and my foundation, we want to work with kids. We do that. But I also want to work with kids with asthma, with asthma who are, who are asthmatic because I want to show them they have a li- uh, they can have a life without limits. Uh, and so that's the goal, uh, with that as well. So I, I try to impact as many kids as I can because, uh, of my story, uh, and what I've gone through in life and, and how I'm able to really reach and, and contact and touch, uh, young people. So that's, that's always been a goal of mine. Well, thank you for that. And you are touching others and you are paying it forward. I got two more questions. Okay. In 2021, you get your degree from Notre Dame. I am so <laughs> proud of you. You went back. You didn't have to. Your career was taken right. care of. You got enough money, but you mm-hmm. went back and got your degree. How important was that to you? It was critically important. I told my, my mother and father before I had left uh, school to go go uh, into the draft that, you know what, I, I am leaving school early, but I will come back and get my degree. And I, you know, I promised mom I would do it. And it, it got to a point where I said, you know, I looked into it, uh, and the hard part was you you have to do your senior year on campus at Notre Dame. So I said, oh, that's impossible. Well, COVID offered the opportunity for me to get a semester done at home. I was able to do that. And I finally had one semester left, and I said, you know what? What am I doing? I've got to do this. I've got children and they're looking at me and I am promoting education as the number one priority, but it it had never been the number one priority in my life. So I said to myself, you know what, if I'm going to preach it to my children and, and, and try to show them how important it is, I've got to lead by example. I've got to do it. And so I, I, I rented out an apartment in in South Bend, Indiana, and I commuted, and I went back and forth, and I stayed on campus. I was in classes, and I got a chance to to finish. And I will tell you, it was one of the most rewarding things I have ever done uh, to be able to go there and to see the fa- the look on my mother's face as I'm uh, we are walking and getting my degree. That was uh, one of the biggest things, biggest accomplishments of my life and my children, uh, they appreciated it so much. I'm just so proud to have been able to do that and inspire them, but not only them, I got a call from Chris Weber and Chris Weber says, man, Hey, you know, I'm going back to school. I'm doing, uh, you know, it's like, that, Whoa, that's the best news ever. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's to hear stuff like that, uh, that you're inspiring other people, uh, to do other things. And, and, and so that, that was, that was, you know, great to hear. And, 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 and the kids and, you know, the look on their faces when they say, yeah, my dad's, he graduated from Notre Dame. It's like, yes, that's what it's all about. It is. Hey, listen, pass that message along to some current collegiate athletes, will you? It will, it will do them <laughs> some very, very good hearing it from you. And here, yes. here's my last question. Now, Jerome, you're doing commercials with Peyton and Eli Manning. Man, you have become a rock star, baby. <laughs> Uh, that's pretty cool. What's that like? What's that like? You know what? It's great because they're great guys. Um, and you know that this commercial is going to be big. When you got the, <laughs> the, the, the Manning brothers in the commercial, you're like, okay, this is going to be big. And then you get Tay Bradshaw to boot. It's like, oh, man, this is this is special. What's, when you hear of the, the, the cast that's assembled, you say, oh, I'm in. Yeah, for sure, yeah. I'm doing that. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, listen, I can't thank you enough for joining me. Uh, this is one of the best we've ever done because you're such a good guy. You're a Detroit guy. Uh, you and I have crossed paths many times. I really so appreciate times. you joining us. And, boy, you're a credit to the city of Detroit, to the Pittsburgh Steelers, to the NFL, and every human being out there and how you've done it. Congratulations. And, and Jim, I want to thank you as well because – you have given of your time. I mean, every time Reggie has a banquet, had this event, you were always emceeing it. You were always there. You were always present. Uh, you were always there with the kids at the camps. I mean, you gave of your time. And I, I just want you to know how appreciative uh, I am because yeah. now I look it back and I know that the most important resource we have is time. And for you to give so much of it uh, in pursuit of helping these young kids. Uh, I just want you to know how thankful I am to you. I appreciate that greatly. You and I both know uh, when Reggie McKenzie calls, (laughs) you answer. You answer. No question. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, boss. You're the best. Uh, You take care. You too. Thanks for joining us today on Conversations With. You're more than welcome to go back and listen to past episodes of some of the conversations I've had with athletes, newsmakers, and personalities that have been kind enough to join me on Conversations With. I also invite you to go to my website, jimbrandstatter.com, and explore my blogs and other activities. Just as a heads up, I enjoy cooking, reading, and photography to name a few hobby-type things. My website features some of those hobbies like food recipes, book reviews, photography that some have told me, borders on the frameworthy, and interesting videos from my broadcast past. When you visit jimbrandstatter.com, you can explore them all. Let me know what you think on the Contact Me page. In the meantime, check out my YouTube channel, The Brandy Show, and become a subscriber. I also have a Facebook page and Twitter account if that's more your style. So keep an eye on those social media sites for details on new episodes of my podcast, Conversations With. I'll let you know when they're up and ready to go. Thanks again for joining us on Conversations With.